Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. for downloading Changing Politics. This is a political podcast hosted by me, comedian Grongy Maguire, and journalist Marie LeConte that chats about the week's news and highlights issues that you, yes, you, can make a difference to. Now, because the first half of each week is topical chat, we reckon you might not be bothered to download old episodes. Some of them are so old, they were recorded back when Boris Johnson was in the Cabinet. So while we're off over the summer, we're re-releasing all the features we've done on how you can get involved in changing the way politics works in this country, which are less topical than the first bit of the show. They're only 10 to 15 minutes long, so we hope you enjoy this new bite-sized form. This podcast is the feature from our fourth episode, which is about the rise of the far right. We recorded it the day after two Nazis were convicted of being part of a banned organisation, and at the same trial, a third man admitted preparing an act of terrorism after buying a machete for the purpose of murdering West Lancashire MP Rosie Cooper. So here's Joe Mulhall from Hope Not Hate and Shabana Mahmoud MP, as well as my thoughts on Steve Bannon's media tour from the 20th of July 2018. This week, we're going to look at how serious the rise of the far right is, the problems with tackling it, and what we can do to stop it. So as you all know, unless you've been living under a rock for the past years, the far right are back and they're wronger than ever. Although if you have been living under a rock, stay there. Honestly, it's so much nicer than the way the world is at the moment. But how large are they as a problem? We spoke to Joe Mulhall from the campaigning group Hope Not Hate. We should be extremely worried about the far right in Britain and internationally at the moment. We face a number of really, really challenging threats. Since the kind of decline of the British National Party as a big electoral force, the most successful far right electoral threat we've ever faced in the UK, what we've now got is a different type of threat. We've got a decentralised threat with thousands and thousands of activists engaging in small types of far right activism, especially online. We've got the re-emergence of a street movement, the kind of the people around the free Tommy Robinson movement. We've seen 10,000 people on the streets recently which is well over double anything the English Defence League ever managed. So we've got a, a very, very large street movement and we've seen a real upswing in violence. If we're trying to put a number on the size of the far right here in the UK, it depends how you look at it. I hope not, hey, our estimate is that in terms of traditional far right party membership, so British National Party, National Front and the like, it's absolutely tiny. We're talking well under a thousand people, which is remarkably small. Yet, 
On the flip side of that, if we say look at traffic to far-right white supremacist and neo-Nazi websites, we're seeing tens of thousands. If we look at the big kind of alt-right websites that we monitor at Hope Not Hate, most of which are based in North America, around 10% of the traffic will usually come from the UK or somewhere around that. For some of them, that's kind of 15, 20,000 unique visitors a month visiting extreme content online. So there's that element. And then in terms of, as we say, the street movement, very clearly there is a large number of people in this UK that support the message around someone like Tommy Robinson, and he's been very successful at getting those people onto the streets. So it depends how you look at it. Electorally, it's very, very small. In traditional membership terms, it's very, very small. But in terms of other ways, it's remarkably large and terrifying. One of the biggest champions of the free Tommy Robinson march was Britain First. You may remember them from the bunch of horrible lies they made up about Syrian refugees, from their frequent invasion of mosques and most recently from the President of the United States Twitter feed. But there are new groups starting up all the time. The Football Lads Alliance, which sounds like a fun new banter channel online but is actually a worrying new far-right movement, recently marched in Birmingham. Here's Shabana Mahmood, Labour MP for Birmingham Ladywood, to talk us through what happened. They came to Birmingham in the same way that the EDL used to come to Birmingham. They come to have a march. They try to co-opt themselves into a campaign which is called Justice for the 21, which is a campaign spearheaded by families of the 21 victims of the Birmingham pub bombings who still haven't had justice. Lots of people have been active in that campaign and the Football Lads Alliance in Birmingham tried to take that over as their cause and they came basically to Birmingham to make trouble and to try and put out a message that Birmingham is not a city for everybody that it's segregated all of the Fox News style narrative that there had been about Birmingham that it's a no-go area for white people they came to basically propagate that message and spread hate so all of us members of parliament in Birmingham decided we would work together we coordinated letters to the police to the council talking about public safety and maintaining public order reassuring of our communities both through the police and the local authority but also all of our our civic society groups. We have unfortunately had EDL marches through Birmingham in the past. So we have already an apparatus in place when we know something like this is coming. The civic groups within Birmingham get together straight away, stand up to racism, the trade union movement, the faith groups. They are very good at coming together very quickly, uh, sending out a message of reassurance to the Birmingham community and then making sure that on the day we have good contact with the police. We know if is brewing. So we we basically, you know, press the start button on what is already our pre-prepared response. There's always a countermarch presence. That's not normally organised actually through the civic society groups that we work with. Obviously, there is an anti-fascist movement out there already and they sort of also turn up but we make sure that the response from the people who are rooted in Birmingham who are responsible for the city's functioning as a city that we have our own very particular response doesn't normally involve a march Uh, instead we tend to come together in the centre of Birmingham outside the council house and have you know usually a show of solidarity people standing together lots of messages about how you know love thy neighbour interfaith relations you know we just make sure that the pictures we send out to our city show the best of our city. And it's not just on the streets. Currently, we've got Steve Bannon doing a media tour in the UK, turning up on Good Morning Britain and Nigel Farage's LBC show, because the one thing both of those shows were missing was a right-wing loudmouth. Here's Shabana again. In a way, dealing with 
something like Football Lads Alliance coming along to do their march, where you see what you're getting with that kind of way of ordering society, because they're thugs and they come along and they behave in a thuggish way. What's more dangerous, I think, is the normalisation of the suited and booted face of respectability end of the fascist spectrum, which is encapsulated by Steve Bannon, by Milo Yanapoulos, by Raheem Kassam. You know, these are fascist operators, but they look and they sound like political operatives from any political party. They, you know, they have a message that is couched in very particular terms. And when they're given a platform, that legitimacy that they get and the radicalising power of that legitimacy is something that's very, very dangerous. These are people who use freedom of speech for themselves in order to gain enough power in society to shut it down for everybody else. They are just the classic fascists that we have seen throughout history. So, Murray, what did you make of Bannon's tour? Did it live up to the hype? (laughs) Think he sold as many T-shirts as he wanted? I found that absolutely incredible. And generally, like, you know, I... Obviously, as a journalist myself, I do get occasionally annoyed at people kind of, you know, being so overly critical of the media all the time. That being said, has everyone lost their fucking mind? Like, literally, I feel like... When Steve Bannon was first rumoured to maybe be joining the Trump White House, like, everyone was so horrified, but that was properly like the stuff of nightmare. Fast forward a while, among other things, you know, went on stage and literally like talked about himself as being a white supremacist and, you know, stuff like that, you know, ethno-nationalist, sorry, definitely not the same thing. And, you know, fast forward, comes around, gets on Good Morning Britain, does the Telegraph podcast with, you know, kind of the journalist taking a really, like, matey, smiling picture next to him to promote the podcast, gets on LBC, kind of, yeah, just just gets a lovely media tour. Again, as a literal white supremacist. And I worry that the Overton window has shifted so quickly because I remember, you know, I'd recently moved to the UK when the big Nick Griffin on Question Time debate happened. And I remember at the time, you know, so many people are like, well, you know, obviously not. And the fact that, you know, he went on with such a massive kind of like scandal. Move on a few years and it's now like, yeah, OK, like, you know, this man who probably, no, no, actually not probably, I would definitely say is more dangerous than Nick Griffin. Just, yeah, didn't just do the one show, kind of went around, you know, had a nice time. And uh, and yeah, and most people just barely batted an eyelid. I, for a second there, I thought he didn't even do the one show. No, I, yeah, no, no, I had, I, I heard myself say that. And it's like, yeah. That's what we're waiting for, Steve Bannon bringing in a pot of jam. <laughs> Why do you think this is he's become, that he's become so normalised that like, oh yeah, we have white supremacists on talking on Good Morning Britain now? I'm not entirely sure. I feel like, you know, Part of the problem is, you know, is Donald Trump, effectively, because, you know, Steve Bannon is not a random racist. He's a racist who used to work at the White House. There is a school of journalism, which is basically like, you know, if someone is or used to be in a position of power, then they're fair game and, you know, should come on and whatever. They're just like the others, which personally I think is really dangerous. I think everyone should have lines and Steve Bannon should be over the line for most people, if not all of them. And yeah, I think there's also partly the, you know, the never ending chase for like that the numbers, you know, and the exclusive, which will bring in the numbers because the media is now obsessed more than ever, I think, you know, with audiences and with getting as many people as possible to get talking about stuff. And, I, and I'm not sure, I, I don't really get it because I've not actually seen 
many people properly justify their decision to actually bring, you know, people like Steve Bannon onto their programmes. And do you think when he is on television, do you think he's ever with a journalist who have stood up to him and challenged him enough? Or do you think he's always seems to get sort of quite an easy go of it? But I think it was the thing, wasn't it, when uh, Theo Usherwood at LBC, I think, tried to kind of, you know, challenge Steve Bannon and then Steve Bannon kind of went on a massive rant at him off air. And, you know, Theo sort of like, posted about that on Twitter and obviously I don't want to single him out but it's just you know it is the one example and everyone was kind of like you know well done Theo for like you know pushing back and whatever and it's like how about instead just not inviting him like mm-hmm. in the first place like why would you like yeah of course you know because of the sort of person he is like he what was it like he called the Financial Times communist recently which in fairness is a bit funny <laughs> <laughs> but but you know so that, that is not a man who is anywhere near the political mainstream but it's it's a bit depressing to think that you have to find a great like journalistic mind a Walter Conkright for our era just to find somebody to argue that maybe white nationalism isn't a good thing but I think we're also, I think that there's another problem there as well, which is that a lot of political journalists won't necessarily be used to doing this kind of really combative interviews. You know, there's a reason why Paxman was kind of put on that like pedestal because, you know, he was the kind of like, you know, punchy mm-hmm. person. Because, you know, and, and I'm not saying that's a good thing, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but especially a lot of, you know, broadcast or, you know, kind of like radio stuff will very much, you know, like, don't get me wrong, journalists will definitely put, like, let's say, like, MPs on the spot and stuff. But it's never intended to be a kind of, yeah, like a massive confrontation. And so I think when they do get those people, they don't really know how to deal with them. So now, obviously, the French are... You guys are really good at the far-right stuff. I'm not, I'm not flirting with you, Marie. Genuinely, you really are. Now, are the Free Tommy guys just doing a Café Rouge here? You know, copying the French to do their own crappy British version of it? Well... You know, it, it is a it is a fact that, you know, the rise of the far right in France we have had for a very long time. You know, we had a far right party getting to the second round of the presidential elections, you know, decades ago now, like nearly. And I feel like, you know, France has not entirely solved that problem either, actually, of how, how do you cover the far right? Because, you know, I think that, I think it's the thing, the issue does become different when it is someone who's doing very well in the polls. Like, you know, Marine Le Pen was in the second round this time round as well in the election. So even though I, I would normally, you know, say actually, you know, those people just, you know, ignore them like Steve Bannon, you know, do not invite them on your shows and stuff. If you've got someone who's, because I think Marine Le Pen was on top of the polls for a while, actually, you know, like a few years ago now, that's not someone you can ignore because obviously, you know, your role as the press is to actually cover what's happening and, and you know and kind of like inform keep people informed then obviously if someone is polling that high you can't just ignore them and I think there's the argument as well that if you don't cover them then that's just going to help them because they can go well there you go you know they're the elite over there they want to pretend we don't even exist when we're actually fighting for you fighting for the little guy which is obviously not what they're doing but that's another thing and, and you know, I, I do think that actually Britain could do well to look at France and kind of look at what we have done right and we have done wrong because some of our mistakes I think should not sort of like be made again in England. So we've been describing the far right as dangerous but what does that actually mean? This week a neo-Nazi was actually jailed for plotting to murder Labour MP Rosie Cooper with a machete. So there's obviously a real and present danger from letting these groups go unchecked. But shouldn't we just allow freedom of speech until somebody breaks the law? We asked both Shabana 
and Joe what they thought. Nationally, I think we almost need a new campaign around the sorts of platforms we give people and a new settlement on the limits of free speech because there have always been limits on free speech and incitement to hatred and violence has always been a limit on free speech. And we need to reinterrogate some of those arguments because liberal democracy is being subverted by these individuals. All of its principles are being used to pursue a cause that will shut liberal democracy down. And so if we don't have some new way of being able to interrogate these arguments then then we're done for so I do think we either say if you're not going to provide them any challenge don't put them on but if you are going to provide them with some challenge then we need we need that challenge to be there it's not enough just to have one point of view and then the direct opposite point of view and then say you've had balance I think there is a huge difference between having a right to say what you like and having a right to say it where you like for example I'll defend people's willingness to know platform far-right people from university campuses if they want to, and they should in many senses, I believe. I don't believe that's necessarily a curtailment of the far-right's freedom of speech. They have a right to say it, but you don't have a right to say it wherever you wish. I think that we have to kind of take a bit more of a nuanced understanding of the freedom of speech debate. It's unfortunately become a real rallying cry, and the importance of freedom of speech to our society, which is central, has been kind of co-opted by elements on the far-right. We've seen the same in North America, because Talking about their more traditional far-right politics can often be controversial, but everyone agrees with freedom of speech, or the vast majority of people agree with freedom of speech. And so we saw this as that actually when we look at the street movements that we're seeing, or the far-right street movements in the UK, every weekend for about two or three months we saw them in Hyde Park, in Speaker's Corner, saying that they are having their freedom of speech curtailed. And they continue to use this rhetoric, and I think we've got to be really careful and not let them win on that. Just this last weekend, we saw 6,000, 6,000 far-right activists, and not all of them far-right, of course, but many of them far-right. And we certainly saw the speakers were very far-right from across the European far-right movement, bemoaning their curtailment of freedom of speech while they were stood on Whitehall on a stage outside the Houses of Parliament, bemoaning that they don't have a right to say what they want. So we cannot let them get away with that nonsense, I think. So we have to be super careful in debating the far right because for them, they pretty much win just by being given the publicity of an equal footing with legitimate politicians. So what can be done to stop them? If you see the rise of fascism and the rise of the far right, you should get involved in the civic society groups in your community that will provide the bulwark to fighting the far right, not just marching in the streets when you know they're coming to town, but the people who are bridge builders between natives and newcomers, the civic society institutions that help bring people who are different into a shared space where they can have something that unites them, sort of a very practical way of reminding everybody we have more in common than we have through our differences. So I think getting active at your own community level is really important. People need to get involved. We're always desperate for people to kind of come and get involved with Hope Not Hate. We have our research side, which we exist, and obviously we need funding on that. So if anyone's got a spare five, we'd always love to have that. We have lots of people who support us by signing up to the mailing list and sharing our content. That's amazing. That's great. You know, just even just by retweeting content that we've put out there, which is about counter-narrative work or challenging things online, if people can't get out, it's as simple as that. It's about just getting involved in that way. But also we've got a kind of, uh, we're an activist organisation at our core, you know. We have groups all over the country. So if people want to help and want to get involved, go on our website, get drop us a line. There's local groups all over the country. And we're always desperate for people to get involved and help campaign. So you can go out and you can go door knocking, you can go leafleting with us on weekends. Or do it, you know, once every six months. It really is as much or as little as you want. 
at a very base level, kind of just follow Hope Not Hate on social media and, and push content to your friends. Have a conversation over uh, at a dinner party or with, at the pub. You know, go and have a talk about it and engage with people that way. It's as simple as that. It doesn't need to be kind of like getting involved and become this huge act, super activist, you know. So that's what you can do this week. Visit hopenothate.org.uk, chuck them some money, help out, or just retweet their stuff. And also Google your town's name and Civic Society and see how you can get involved. Thanks for listening to this feature-only episode of Changing Politics. You can follow us on Twitter at Changing Polypod and Facebook, Changing Paul, for more information, including when we'll be back with new full episodes. Until then, thanks for listening. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Spin your passion into a business of Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.